Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexander Kurland. I'm the author of Clicker Training for Your Horse and other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. Dominique and I both love training. When the two of us get together, it's a non-stop conversation. And that's what we want to share in these podcasts, our love of horses and our fascination with training. So we're actually in the middle of one of those non-stop conversations. In the previous podcast, we ended with Dominique talking about choice. She made this wonderful comment. We can teach behaviors that our animals can then use to cue us. We left you there to chew on that idea, and now we're going to continue on. We'll pick up again by talking about how choice is incorporated into the very first clicker training lesson, and that it just continues on from there. So let's listen in. When you think about the very first couple of sessions with the clicker training, and that's what these horses are learning, especially the horses that where everything has been absolutely command-based. They've had no say in it whatsoever other than just to salute and do as you're told. And now suddenly they're in this situation where somebody's holding this weird little plastic water bottle out in front of them and they're supposed to reach out and touch it. And is that really safe? Am I going to get punished if I initiate a behavior and just this whole learning that they can they can interact or not that that it's okay if they go to the back corner of their stall and that you're not going to go in and drive them out and make them come up and touch the target that they have the option of saying I don't think this I don't no, I don't, I just don't understand this. And so I'm not going to play the game. And then slowly, you show them how the game is played and that it's safe. And that it's actually fun. And you see them suddenly just come out of their shell and begin to engage and participate and to make choices. And that's what you build a relationship on. That's when you feel the difference in the relationship. Yes, absolutely. That's the trust account building. Yes, that the relationship is a history of reinforcement or a history of punishment. But it's, you know, the thing about the cue too is that because back to the poison cue, it's not just because you're using positive reinforcement because you could be using positive reinforcement and still be poisoning the whole situation. But... When you start giving control, I think you give yourself more chances not to do that. It helps to have that mindset and it changes the way you observe the animal too, because you have to observe. And if you're going to be receiving cues, that means that you are looking for cues from the animal. You are reading your animal. It's not just commanding, you're reading and so, we're again two-way communication so you're listening that's right and you're you are allowing your behavior 
to be modified by the response of the horse. Mm, yep. It, it always seems so political to me when we say that. I always feel like we're these revolutionary politically. <laughs> I know. Well, I think it's it's the beauty of this whole movement is, is exactly that, but it's such a novel idea in in the horse world i mean not so novel in in some other animal training but it's a novel training, idea but... everywhere because you know you think about relationships that we have with people where you say oh yes yes i listen all the time but do you listen and let your behavior be modified or do you just keep doing what you've always been mm -hmm. doing i mean doesn't that isn't that one of the things that sort of undermines relationships where one partner doesn't feel as though they're being listened mm -hmm. to. What does mm -hmm. being listened to means? It means that when you voice uh, a, an opinion, when you talk about what you would like to happen next, that you see that behavior is modified in the person you're having a conversation with. So if, if my horse is saying, well, I'd rather not do we used the example of lateral, lateral flexions earlier. If the horse is saying, you know, I'd really rather not do a lateral flexion work today. And you just say, well, I hear you, but we're still doing it. Yeah. So it's, it's that willingness to say, okay, but not today. And that's where the husbandry things get really tricky and where you need to be teaching this and setting it up in advance. Because when you have something that really does need to be doctored. You don't feel as though you can say, well, okay, I know you really don't want this ointment in this wound right now, so it's okay, we just won't, I just won't treat it. I mean, that doesn't feel right at all. What's very interesting is that when most of the time you do give control to the animal, it seems, or it doesn't seem, I mean, I know some of the research and Susan Friedman certainly has written about this and, and so has Ken Ramirez, and, but it gives them more resilience. They bounce back easy, more easily when you do have to impose a procedure on them because they don't, they generally have a sense that they have control over the significant events in their lives. And so that one time when they don't, it won't harm them the way it would if they never have a sense of control. Right. And the other piece of this is, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this in terms of we're going to be having this webinar with, with Dr. Jesus Rosales-Ruiz. So what we're really focusing on is the science behind all of this work. And we can be talking about this, and it, and it sounds really nice. So, you know, we can use this procedure and we get this result. We give them the control, and but we can actually test it. So Jesus was the one who introduced me to this, the concept of the A-B experiments where you, you do reversals. You get a baseline, and then you change the conditions, and you collect data. So under this set of conditions, what do you see your animal doing? So if you're guessing... If you're surmising that your horse, pick a behavior, that your horse bangs on his on the stall door, because we talked about that behavior earlier with the cues and commands. If you're guessing that he bangs on the stall door when it's feeding time, so you measure the amount of stall banging that is occurring under this set of conditions, and then you 
do a reversal. You change the condition. You measure the amount of the behavior that you're, you see occurring. And then you do another reversal. You go back to the original condition. And you, again, you, you measure the behavior. And so you can test to see, was my guess at what was causing this behavior, did that actually show up in the data? And that would be something, because I know for most of us, we're used to large group studies. If you're going to look at, does a particular medication help reduce colics in horses? You'd have to have a large group of horses to study that. But in the behavioral work, you can do these reversals. And so your the number of individuals that you need to run a study is down to one or two. And that would be something that would be really interesting to talk to Jesus about to get a better sense of how these studies are set up so that you can run your own behavioral study with your horses, which is really fun. You can be a citizen scientist. And it allows you then, when you have behavioral problem, it allows you to do a functional analysis and really get to the root cause of the problem so that you can make a change that's going to be effective. What you thought might be the problem when you start really looking at it isn't the problem at all. It's something yes. else. Some, sometimes it's not that easy to find what the function of the behavior is. Sometimes it's really clear, but other times you don't know there's things going on that you're not aware of and it can be you can scratch your head sometimes <laughs> right right so you've been sharing with me some updates on grazing and all of this ties in because you want your horses to be polite on grass and you had the experience oh quite a few podcasts back we talked about teaching polite grazing manners to the horses. And we put up an article in the member section with how-to instructions. When, when that went up, it was middle of May, and you were inspired to go out and work with your horses to really sharpen up their good grass grazing manners. Woody is, you've worked with Woody over a long period of time. He has good manners. But the other two horses, Pico and Bonanza, this is the first spring that you've been together with them. And so you had sort of an interesting learning curve with Pico. So would you like to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Well, I was super excited after the first grazing session because as you said, I had I had put these instructions into practice with Woody the previous years. And so when when we made this this article available to our members, and I had just, it was my first spring with uh, Pico and Bonanza. And so I put them into practice. And the first session was, wow, it was so good. You know, they were, Pico especially. I mean, at the end of that session, I thought, that's it. I mean, he's a gentleman grazer. He doesn't pull me. He got it. He really got it. Job done forevermore. Yeah, job done. He And I saw. I saw the moment where, you know, you see those light bulb moments where he got that he would get to the food if he didn't try to steal the food. And so I, I knew he had understood. 
And Bonanza, the first session was not as good as Pico, but I felt we had made really good progress. And so the next session, which was a couple of days later, oh, and I guess I was a little bit ambitious because I thought everything had gone so well the day before. So and I remember in the article you say, you can walk a few, once the, the horse understands, once you have a clean loop, of the horse understanding when you're stationary that they need to wait for the cue to drop their head and that when you ask for the head to come up that they should be coming up so and, and then you instruct that we should walk a few steps not too many steps a few steps which i had done the day before the couple of days before but this time i thought well we're good so we're gonna do more and everything collapsed. It was awful. It was not a good session. And it's funny because at that time, you had someone on your uh, Facebook page who had been very disappointed by a training session she had had. And she, did, she, she wrote this great post where she was sharing how inadequate she felt after that and that she went and fixed herself a couple of, a few cups of teas over the days. And but by the time she had finished her analysis, it was actually quite a positive post. And I thought the timing was good because I had just kind of gone through that where I was disappointed. And we, we've all experienced that when we have to kind of go back and sit down and say, okay, where do I take this from here on? That's right. I mean, that's the nature of training. You think that the animal has it, but conditions have changed. Maybe on the second day he was hungrier or you were because you were expecting him to just pick up. Well, as a matter of fact, there was a lot going on around too. Uh, there was this stallion that was being brought in and everyone, everyone was kind of nervous about it. There was another stallion being ridden in the outdoor arena and we were grazing right next to this other stallion. So yeah, there were more than one thing had changed in the environment. So that's where you, you could definitely do one of the functional analysis of, well, what was it a question of stacking where if there had just been the one stallion, everything would have been okay, but because you had this, this condition plus that condition plus this other condition, now Pico couldn't concentrate on the lesson. If I had to make a confession, I think I would have said that I loved that I didn't have a clean loop and I thought I could go to the next loop. Aha. And so what I did is I said to Pico, this is not a clean loop. I actually said that to him. <laughs> and we went back into the arena and just played with going on the mat. And it was super clean loop. And then we went back in the box because that's what I wanted to finish on. And so, yeah, those anchor, those simple behaviors that you're going to use to get more complex loop, I went back to that, the foundation lessons. And I would say that's just good training because it's okay to test the waters. And I, I think of it that way. If we never test the water, we're never going to make progress forward. You have to find out, can I ask you to stay focused on me when we're at this level of distraction? So let me test the water. Oh, no, I can't. <laughs> I love I love that. It makes me feel good 
to look at it that way, to think that, okay, it wasn't a bad session. It was data collection. We were just testing the water to see if we're ready to go to the next loop. We're not. So let's go back to the previous loop. And that's exactly right. So that your loop was not clean. So what do I need to change to get to a clean loop? Well, now let me go back into my training principles. Train where you can, not where you can't. Well, right now, with all this commotion going on, this is not a place where I can train. So let me go back into an environment where I feel as though I can be a more effective teacher and Pico can be a, a more attentive student. So we went back into the arena. You find a loop that within that arena, you can get a clean loop and that's what you build on. And this is all data collecting. So the next time you test the water and say, can we graze out here under these conditions, you may find that the answer now is yes, because you've built a strong enough base and you've built a solid enough repertoire of behaviors that he, that the two of you now can stay connected to one another even under these conditions. So I would say, rather than beating yourself up on, oh, I lumped and I, and, and I thought he was going to be great at grazing because he was great at grazing the day before when things were quieter. It's, you just tested the waters. And today the water was too cold or too hot, too, too much of something and dipped your toe in and not ready yet to take the plunge and go all the way. The mistake is when people insist on saying, but I'm out here, you're going to do this, you did it yesterday, you're going to do it today, and then all of a sudden they find themselves in the command-based paradigm. You know what else was different? There were a lot of people looking at me. <laughs> That'll, that, will, that can make a difference. Yeah, that was different in the environment too. <laughs> yeah. You know, you start really looking at what were all those antecedent conditions. And that certainly is a big one. But for me, what, what it was clear to me that I didn't want to harm my relationship with him. So I ended it right away because I, I didn't want to do ever, ever. I never want to do anything for the gallery. It's my relationship with this horse. And so because I'm the only clicker trainer in that barn, right? So I also want to show good results with the clicker training so I went right back into the arena and that's good training <clears throat> so you just you modeled good training so I'm glad we talked about it actually I'm glad that you brought it up and that we wove it into the conversation because I think it's an important part of the conversation Dominique I'd love to end today's podcast with this discussion you've made such an important statement you don't want to do anything that would harm the relationship you have with your horses. So instead of letting the presence of other people watching you push you into doing something that you'd regret later, you followed your own good training habits. You went back into the arena where you could be successful. That's such a great gift you've given us through that example. It can seem like such a simple thing. Oh my goodness, it can be a really hard lesson to learn. Especially when you're at that stage where you don't feel confident in your own handling skills or your horse knowledge. It's easy to be intimidated by other people and to end up listening to them instead of to your horse. 
you've given us something to think about as we're working with our own horses. Are we making good choices for them? Are we putting our relationship with them ahead of the pressure to perform that we may feel from other people? That's definitely something to chew on as we go through the week and observe our own behavior. So let's end the podcast here. And I'll let you tell people about our upcoming webinar with Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz. Yes, it's coming soon. It's going to be on June 30th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Remember, that's Eastern Time. You can go to our website, equiosity.com, to register. When I suggested that we ask Jesus if he would be our guest for this webinar, you jumped right on the idea. I know how much Jesus has contributed over the years to my training, but can you say just a few words about why you value his work? Sure. Alex, you know how much I love the fact that clicker training is based on science and not on popular wisdom or on someone's charismatic personality. I also like the fact that science is constantly correcting and evolving. Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz gives us access to this new knowledge. He's one of those rare people who creates and maintains a link between the academic world and everyday practitioners like us. There's a lot of very interesting work happening in the scientific world, and we need people like Dr. Rosales Ruiz who are willing to reach out and connect with the rest of society so that this knowledge can help increase the general public's understanding of behavior and learning principles and ultimately foster animal welfare in the world. Dr. Rosales Ruiz conducts all these fascinating researches with his graduate students, and then he shares the results with us, including these amazing videos which document the various steps and conclusions of the researches. There's still so much to clarify and understand in the field of behavior analysis, and you can count on Dr. Rosales Ruiz and his students to ask new questions and come up with brilliant insights, which can have direct implications in our way of training and, yes, make us better trainers. So I hope a lot of you will seize this opportunity to broaden your knowledge and ask whatever questions you may have to this great professor who is making a huge contribution in the advancement and dissemination of behavior analysis knowledge. Remember, the webinar is June 30th, 2018 at 1.30 Eastern Time. Go to equosity.com to register. And if you are interested in the Poison Q and the Loopy training DVDs that we've been talking about in this series of podcasts, visit my website, theclickercenter.com, and you'll find them there. Next time, we'll continue on with the final segment of this current conversation. We'll be looking again at cues and something that I refer to as testing the waters. So until next time, have fun with your training.